Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for January, February and March 2013. Titled Origins, this podcast is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 11 for March 9-15, to Sabbath, a Gift from Eden. Sabbath afternoon, March 9. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Sabbath is something that comes round so frequently. We thank you that the Sabbath is there to remind us of who you are and our relationship to you. As we open your word and look at this beautiful gift, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and bless us, each one, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text for this week is Matthew chapter 12, verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Let's read that again, Matthew twelve eight. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. At the end of the sixth day, the creation had been completed. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 tells us that. The world had been formed into a habitable place, and it had been filled with living creatures. Adam and Eve had been created in God's own image and had been given a beautiful, well-provisioned garden in which to live. They had formed the first marriage and established the first home. God was satisfied with what he had made. Something else, however, was added to this paradise, the seventh-day Sabbath. We read about that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Genesis 2 disproves the common notion that the seventh day is the Jewish Sabbath. Why? Because God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it back in Eden, before the fall, and certainly before any Jews existed. In addition, the Sabbath is a memorial to the creation of all humanity, not just the Jews. All humanity should enjoy the blessings of the Sabbath day. This week, we will explore the biblical teachings on this, Another Gift from Eden Sunday, March 10 Creation and the Seventh-day Sabbath In Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11, the fourth commandment refers directly to the creation week. Let's read that. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. This is important because it points back to Eden itself, to a world without sin, a perfect world coming fresh from the Creator. Ellen White writes in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 307, The Sabbath is not introduced as a new institution, but as having been founded at creation. It is to be remembered and observed as the memorial of the Creator's work. Question. Read Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. 
How is the seventh-day Sabbath tied directly to the creation itself? How do these verses help to reinforce the idea that God did indeed create our world in six days as opposed to the long ages postulated by theistic evolution? Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. In those three verses it's worth noting that reference is made to the seventh day five times. In three of these five it is specifically called the seventh day, and twice the day is referred to with the pronoun it. In these verses we are left with no ambiguity about either the day or what it is specifically referring to, and that is the six days of creation that preceded the seventh. Question. Read Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 3 and 4. In his discussion of rest, the author of Hebrews is pointing to what event? Hebrews 4 3 and 4. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he hath said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. This is a clear New Testament reference to the Genesis creation account, and it provides additional evidence for the historical truth of creation in six days, followed by a day of rest. Many today resist the idea that creation took place in six days. They demand scientific evidence that the record is true. But science itself comes with many contingencies, uncertainties and presuppositions. Plus, how could a literal six-day creation be proved anyway? To finish today, God, as Ellen White says in Education, page 169, has not removed the possibility of doubt. Faith must rest upon evidence, not demonstration. Those who wish to doubt have opportunity, but those who desire to know the truth find ample ground for faith. What are the reasons you have for faith? Why do they trump all the reasons to doubt? Monday, March 11. The Rich Meaning of Sabbath Rest Question. Read Deuteronomy 5, 12-15. How does the emphasis of the Sabbath commandment here differ from Exodus 20, verses 8-11? Well, first of all, let's read Exodus 20, verses 8-11, and then we'll read Deuteronomy 5. Well, first of all, Exodus chapter 20 and verses 8 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. 
In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. And we'll compare that with Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your ox nor your donkey nor any of your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Here Moses reminds the Israelites that they should keep the Sabbath, and he states that they should do this because God delivered them from Egypt. The text says nothing about the six days of creation or about the Sabbath being God's rest. Instead, the emphasis here is on salvation, on deliverance, on redemption. In this case, the redemption from Egypt a symbol of the true redemption that we have in Jesus. And we could check 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 3 about that. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all your fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. In other words, there is no conflict between the texts, no justification for trying to use one passage to deny the truth of the other. Moses was showing the people that they belong to the Lord, first by creation and then by redemption. Question. Read Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 12 and Exodus chapter 31 verse 13. What is another reason for observing the Sabbath? Ezekiel 20 verse 12 Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And we'll compare that with Exodus chapter 31 and verse 13. Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. The passages that mention sanctification remind us that only God can make us holy. Only the Creator can create a new heart within us. Consider then three reasons given for Sabbath observance and how they are related. We observe the Sabbath on the seventh day in recognition of the fact that God created in six days and rested on the seventh. We also observe the Sabbath on the seventh day because God is the one who redeemed us, saved us in Christ. And also, He is the one who sanctifies us, which comes only from the creative power of God as well. Let's see 
Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Theories, therefore, that deny the six-day creation tend to diminish God's grace and magnify the value of our own efforts to be good enough in order to be saved. The creation story reminds us of our total dependence on grace and the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ in our place. So, to finish today, dwell on the fact that we are as dependent upon God for redemption as we are for existence. After all, how much say did you have in your own birth? How can the Sabbath help us to better understand our absolute need of God's grace for everything in our lives? How should this knowledge influence the way in which we live? Tuesday, March 12, Jesus and the Sabbath. Question. Read Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28. What crucial truth about the Sabbath does Jesus reveal here? How can we take this principle and apply it to our own Sabbath experience? Mark two twenty-seven and 28. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus and his disciples had just walked through a field of grain, and the disciples, hungry, had picked some of the grain and eaten it. The act of picking grain while one was passing through a field was not a problem, as the rules of the society permitted this. Food is a necessity, and it was perfectly acceptable for the disciples to relieve their hunger by eating what they found as they walked along. The problem was that religious leaders regarded their own made-up rules for Sabbath observance as being more important than human need. This was a continuing point of controversy between Christ and the Pharisees. Jesus' response indicated that their priorities were wrong. The Sabbath should be a day for human blessing, not used as an excuse for prolonging suffering. Question. What other activity did Jesus do on the Sabbath, despite the controversy that it engendered? Well, first of all, Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. Now, when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you, who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value, then, is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Another place is Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 17. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, 
There was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years, and was bent over, and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him, and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. And also John chapter 5 and verse 1 to 17. After these, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Nowhere in all the Sabbath controversies recorded in the Gospels does the question of the validity of the Sabbath ever arise. The issue instead was how the seventh day should be kept, not whether it was to be abolished or superseded by something else. Jesus' example shows not only that the Sabbath remains something that should be observed, but also how the Sabbath should be kept. And one thing we can clearly see from his suffering is that work done on the Sabbath to help relieve human suffering does not violate the Sabbath. On the contrary, if anything, 
His example shows that doing good for others is exactly how the Sabbath should be kept. So to finish today, in what ways could your Sabbath keeping better reflect the principles seen in Jesus' example to us? Wednesday, March 13, Sabbath and the Last Days Question. Read Second Peter 3, verses 3 to 9. Compare the description of the last-day scoffers with our contemporary society. What do the scoffers deny, and why? Reading from Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying... Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition, of ungodly men. The scoffers claim that nature has continued on without interruption, a claim known among scientists as uniformitarianism. This is equivalent to denying that miracles occur. This claim is then used to deny that the Lord is going to come as he promised. Notice, though, how Peter links their denial of the second coming of Christ with their denial of the creation account plus the flood as well. Denial of one leads to denial of the others. Question. Read Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Amid the doubts and cavilling of the scoffers, what message will be proclaimed with heavenly power? Revelation 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. The scoffers are wrong. Judgment is coming, and we are called to worship the one who created the heavens and the earth, the seas, and everything else. This is creation language. The text alludes to Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, and points out the significance of creation and Sabbath in the end times. As the Sabbath symbolizes the biblical story of creation and redemption, so rejection of the creation story leads to rejection of the seventh-day Sabbath and to the establishment of a man-made substitute. The result, indicated in Revelation 14 verses 8 to 10, is spiritual fornication and separation from God. Verse 8, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, 
he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. God is calling people to worship him as the Creator, and nowhere in the Bible do we find anything that points so fully to him as the Creator, as does the seventh-day Sabbath. It is no wonder, then, that we see the Sabbath, the original sign of God as Creator, as being pivotal in the last days. Think it through. How does a rejection of a literal six-day creation weaken the importance of the seventh-day Sabbath? And, if our understanding of the seventh-day Sabbath is weakened, why adhere to it when persecution comes? Thursday, March 14, a psalm for the Sabbath. Question. Read Psalm 92. What does this tell us about, at least in part, what the experience of Sabbath-keeping should be like? Why, when thinking about the Lord, should we express the kind of joy expressed in this psalm? Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning, and your faithfulness every night. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute, and on the harp, with harmonious sounds. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works! Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know. Nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed for ever. But you, Lord, are on high for evermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye also has seen my desires on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked, who rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. The psalmist obviously knew the Lord, knew what the Lord was like, knew what the Lord had done, and knew what the Lord was going to do one day. And it is for these reasons that he expresses the joy that he does. Look too at the rich themes expressed in this, a psalm for the Sabbath day. First and foremost, there is praise and thankfulness to God for his loving kindness and faithfulness. Plus, any psalm for the Sabbath would, of course, include acknowledgement of God as creator, which we see here as well. Also, look at the theme of judgment here. In the Bible, God's judgment is not just against the wicked, but also in favor of the righteous. See Daniel chapter 7 
and verses 20 to 28. And the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spake pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows, I was watching. And the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favour of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, A fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saint shall be given into his hand for a time, and times, and half a time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. These two aspects of judgment are revealed here in the psalm as well. Even if we don't see these promises fulfilled now, we have the promise that this judgment ultimately will come at the end of time, when God recreates all things new. We read about that in Revelation 21 and verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. If we get nothing else out of this psalm, we should see that the Sabbath, however sacred, is a time to delight in the Lord, to rejoice in Him and in all that He has done for us and has promised to do. The whole tone of the psalm is that of praise, joy and happiness, not because of anything that the psalmist had done, but only because of all that the Lord had done and promised to do. What a gift to be given, one-seventh of our lives set apart every week to rest and be able, free from the busyness and stress of mundane existence, to rejoice in the works of the Lord for us. So to finish the day, how can you learn to rejoice in the Sabbath as does the psalmist here in this psalm? If you are not having that experience... Why not? Friday, March 15. From the book Patriarchs and Prophets, page 45, Ellen White writes... God created man in his own image. Here is no mystery. There is no ground for the supposition that man was evolved by slow degrees of development from the lower forms of animal or vegetable life. Such teaching lowers the great work of the Creator to the level of man's narrow earthly conceptions. 
men are so intent upon excluding God from the sovereignty of the universe that they degrade man and defraud him of the dignity of his origin. He who set the starry worlds on high and tinted with delicate skill the flowers of the field, who filled the earth and the heavens with the wonders of his power, when he came to crown his glorious work, to place one in the midst to stand as ruler of the fair earth, did not fail to create a being worthy of the hand that gave him life. The genealogy of our race, as given by inspiration, traces back its origin not to a line of developing germs, mollusks and quadrupeds, but to the great creator. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. Why is the relationship between Sabbath and creation so significant in these last days? How is this truth expressed in Revelation 14, verses 6 to 7? Look again at the question at the end of Wednesday's lesson as you discuss the above question. 2. At about the same time that Charles Darwin started promoting his theory of evolution, God raised up a church that upheld the Seventh-day Sabbath as a distinctive belief. More so, God raised up that church to proclaim the three angels' messages of Revelation 14, which calls upon us specifically to worship the One who created the heavens and the earth. What could be more tragic or a deeper fall from faith than for those professing to be members of that church to argue in favour of evolution? And three, in recent years, science has revealed a complexity in life that boggles the mind. Charles Darwin had no clue whatsoever about just how complicated even the so-called simple cell really is. We know now that even the most simple cell is more complicated and more intricate than Darwin probably ever imagined. Look at the irony here. Many scientists believe that life arose by chance alone, yet the more complexity that science finds in life, the less likely it becomes that chance could have done it. That is, the more that science reveals about the complexity of life, the less likely science's grand theory about the origin of life, atheistic evolution, becomes. Discuss this point. And that brings us to Inside Story. It's titled Embracing the World Cities, Part 2, and it comes once again from Gary Krauss, who was Director of Adventist Mission at the General Conference. The first part of this article appeared in the fourth quarter, 2011, Inside Story. As we look at the mission field, we must look through the compassionate eyes of Jesus. We're not looking at a target group or mere statistics. We're looking at real people. They may have given up on church and religion, but they're open to those who follow Christ and show the love and sympathy of their Master. And if we're going to minister to needs, we need to know what those needs are. We need to study our communities. What are people reading? What are they watching? What are they listening to? How do they spend their spare time? What's causing them pain? What's bringing them joy? 
A few years ago, Wayne Krauss, the pastor of a church near Sydney, Australia, discovered that some students were arriving at the local public school each day without breakfast. He presented the challenge to his church, and soon the church members were providing food to these hungry children. Later, when the school decided to hire a chaplain, they turned to the Seventh-day Adventist church. Today, Rochelle Madden serves as the school's chaplain. I see my role as chaplain to be a window to Jesus, says Rochelle. I want the students, parents and teachers to see a Christian as someone who really cares about them and about what's going on in their lives. Seventh-day Adventists should make cities better places. Are people hungry? Let's feed them. Are immigrants struggling to adapt? Let's help them. Does a city park need a clean-up? Let's roll up our sleeves. In the book of Jeremiah, God instructed the Jewish exiles how to live when they got to Babylon. But seek the welfare, shalom, of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, shalom, and you will find your welfare, shalom. Jeremiah 29, verse 7. The Hebrew word shalom conveys thoughts of peace, well-being, and prosperity. God is urging the exiles to work and pray for the good of the city. We must do the same today. Jesus modelled a holistic ministry that balanced the spiritual and the physical. Matthew 9.36 reads, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. We should use Christ's ministry as our example and care for physical as well as spiritual needs. This podcast of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful.